Hey guys, what's up? As we mentioned in our last episode with Drew Dudley, we had a little bit of an extra conversation with him uh, following the normal interview where we dove into him having bipolar disorder. Uh, So Drew sat down, talked with us about how it's helped shape his life and how he's gone through life with having bipolar disorder. And we found it really interesting, so we wanted to release it to you guys. So please enjoy this 20-minute or so conversation with Drew Dudley and bipolar disorder. And thanks for responding to our tweet. That was awesome. And I know we were we were ending it, but you know, you brought up the whole bipolar thing and and if you don't want to speak to it or whatever, I understand, but I was kind of wondering how do you feel that that shaped your life a little bit? That's a such a long question and I don't mean <laughs> to drag this, but just like in a in a brief you know, instance, how do you feel like something that overwhelming because it's a massive challenge and it's something that you don't expect it can happen at any time in your life. How do you feel like that was something that through resiliency has actually been maybe a positive, if at all possible? Yeah. And and don't apologize, my friend. It's, it's, you know, I I apologize to you guys for taking more of your time, but, um, like I love talking about this stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) the bipolar, yeah. The funny thing about bipolar disorder is that I don't know how much people might know about it, but it used to, or sometimes it's still called manic depression. And what I thought was that manic depression meant you were really depressed, you know. And what I didn't realize is that, as the name suggests, what bipolar disorder means is that you spend your life swinging back unpredictably, back and forth between two tremendously different states of being, um, clinical depression and what they call mania. And I knew, or I thought I knew what depression was, and many people think they do, the idea that it's a sadness, and it's not. It's tremendously more than that. Uh, depression is a, is, is a darkness. It's just this absence. It's a place that you just honestly feel like you're wrapped in this spider web of, of sticky something, and you just can't get out. And you know it's not actually part of you, but you know it's, it's there on you. And the other half, though, mania, it's like your brain being in... Like it, it's almost like it's drunk with confidence and and charisma and humor and 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 con like it power. It's like feeling like your brain is on steroids, <laughs> and and people think that that's a good thing, right? right? The problem is it can get so intense that you actually lose track of what's socially acceptable. Like you don't think that there'll be any consequences because you figure that everything's worked out before and you feel like you're just bigger than life. And as a result, you lose touch with what's socially acceptable and and you go on binges of, of booze or drugs or sex or food. And you know, this starts to destroy relationships It starts, you know, families, jobs. And if you don't know what's going on, it's, it's so unbelievably terrifying because when you're depressed, you know that there's not a reason that you're depressed. Your life can be amazing. And yet you can't get out of it. And when you're manic, you don't even realize that this is how you that this is how people are perceiving you, because you feel so full of of of, of happiness and energy and passion. And I think that the thing that when I look back at my life, that I realized made it so hard to realize what was going on, was that right before you go into true mania, there's this this spot they call it hypomania where it's not debilitating, but you still have this feeling that you have another gear. You actually do have another gear that other people don't have, hmm. that you can, you're a little bit quicker. You're a little bit more insightful. You don't have to sleep very much. 
you come up with ideas and are incredibly articulate and charismatic, you literally have a gear that other people don't have. And that can be an amazing benefit. And looking back at my life and winning, you know, being valedictorian and playing football and getting all the grades and getting the scholarships and starting all the charities and all of these things that came to me relatively easily, I now realize that the disease played a huge role in my ability to do those things. But as you move into your 20s and it stops being hypomanic and it starts becoming depression, and the thing is now you can't do the things that you come to expect from yourself and that you think other people expect from you. So all of a sudden the things that you think define you, not only can you not do them, but they seem like they're this cloud looming over you. And that can be such a burden to bear. So much of what I did that allowed me the opportunity for people to look at me and say, oh, there's a leader in the traditional sense. He started this, he ran this, he won that. That was the disease. The darkness that came and made me feel as if I wasn't me anymore um, and led to so many things that you know damaged me and people I care about. That was also the disease. And sometimes what happens is that that person you are when you're hypomanic, you feel like you can never be better than that guy. Like that's as smart as you'll ever be and as, and as insightful as you'll ever be and funny and appealing. And in order to get rid of all that, that darkness, that depression, to say goodbye to it, you also have to say goodbye to that guy. Hmm. And sometimes you convince yourself that you need him, right? That, that just until things at home get better or just until things at work get better. And, and that's why... You know, I like to talk about this because I want people who love people with mental illness and who become so frightened and frustrated by the fact that sometimes we'll stop doing the things that we know make us better. You know, why on earth when you have a drug, for instance, that that can help stop this, would you ever stop taking it? And what happens is, is whether it might be the effects of the drugs, you feel like you've lost something you've always had, or you just feel as if you need that person that you become for just a little while. It's hard to explain what it feels like to be less than all the time. Yeah. Like if you think that this is the greatest person you can be and that taking, you know, being treated takes that person away, you spend your whole life feeling as if you could be more and you're not. And you know that trying to become that person again can be so damaging, but sometimes this world pushes us and says, well, the, the money you make is tied to how great you are and you're settling for less. So go be that guy again. And it's tremendously damaging and, and it makes you feel as if you're letting down your friends and your family and the people who care about you when the true way of letting them down is to not take care of yourself. And that's why I want to talk about it so much because I didn't want to say anything because my students used to call me Superman. My girlfriend used to call me Superman. All this stuff I like to talk about, you know, I thought that was who I was. And if I wasn't Superman anymore, then who was I? And to come out and say, well, Superman feels weak and can't do it anymore, I thought that I'd be an embarrassment. I thought that no one would ever hire me. I thought, who's going to listen to a guy talk about leadership who admits that there's this darkness that comes and that there's this thing that takes over and makes him forget uh, what's proper in the world? Who's going to listen? And so I was afraid to give up this amazing opportunity I've been given, even in the last two years. And I realized that there's so many people who are afraid of the same thing. And guys, I was actually backstage talking to another speaker who was talking about his battle with depression. And I said, I wish more people would talk about this, man. I just wish 
I wish somebody would get up and say, like I get to do when it comes to the fact that grades aren't the only thing that define you. I wish somebody would get up in front of a group of people and say that this isn't what defines you. And at that moment, the organizer came over to me and gave me my microphone and said, you're on in two minutes. <laughs> and there I was standing with a microphone in my hand about to be given a stage saying, I wish somebody would talk about it. You know, and, I, uh, I, I want to see if there's any research out there too that show how many stand-up comedians have this same um, disorder because you're pretty much describing them to a T and you guys really share the same characteristics where you know you like to make people laugh, smile, feel better, that kind of stuff and very confident up on stage and confident in your speech and all that. And then off stage, it's different and there is that that other side where the depression might kick in and like stand-up comics go back to their hotel and just hang out by themselves and, and sit there and they depend on that persona that gets up in front of people to, to keep getting by. It's, this is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's funny because my speaking heroes, when people say, well, who are your heroes as speakers? They're all comedians because you know, they, they managed to connect with people. George Carlin is my hero. Chris Rock is my hero. Bill Hicks, oh, you know, Hicks. these are individuals who, you know, if I wanted to learn how to be a better speaker because they own a stage and not only own a stage, they own your mind while they talk. And you'll find that a lot, that there's an awful lot of, you know, and, and tied to mental illness, there are a lot, it's a lot of the drug and alcohol abuse that you see because um, particularly individuals who are bipolar, they self-medicate. I didn't realize that. But, you know, when they start to, to fly towards mania, they'll, they'll drink. And when it goes into depression, that's where you see the amphetamines. That's where you see ecstasy. And that all obviously then has a very physical and mental toll as well, which causes the spiral to keep going. There's an incredible book that came out about some of history's greatest leaders, and I forget, it might be a special madness, or, or a, but it, it talks about how these various leaders show various signs of mental illness. There's a, a documentary I saw recently that said, I think you have to be a little bit delusional to be a visionary. Hmm. And what you'll often find, when I was seeking treatment for this, my doctor said, look, there's something, there's a, there's a mood stabilizer that will take away these swings, these dangerous, dangerous swings in your life. But I have to tell you that sometimes people push back on this because they think that musicians and artists, what they find is that the thing that had always been there, the next brushstroke, the next note, the next line, the thing that they'd always known that just appeared doesn't appear anymore. And they can't live without that. And she said, you're right. you said you're a speaker and the next sentence, the next idea, the next the next word out of your mouth has always just come to you. Like, are you prepared for the reality that that might not be the case anymore? And, and basically what she was saying to me was, all right, you get to live, but the thing that you live for may be gone. And I'm incredibly lucky that when I decided to, um, to take that chance and to say, look, I'm going to try to do what I can to get better and see if this med these meds work, it did not take away from me the thing that I love the most. But there are those people out there that it does. And for those who love them, it's like taking out the thing that you live for and saying, well, now you get to live, but for what? Um, that, that, that like little thing that gave you that step up, that extra step. It's, it's like watching a baseball player age. You know how like, it's just that fraction of bat speed that all of a sudden turns you from a superstar to that guy that people say, well, we remember what he used to be. <laughs> well, 
that's sometimes what it's like, I think, for those of us with mental illness is that it, it, a part, it's all part of who we are. And we almost get addicted to the disease um, that can destroy us. Um, depression is, is, a, is a totally different issue in that there is nothing to that that, that is beneficial. Um, it, it just saps your will to be a person away. Right. But in my case with bipolar, there's, there's this other side of it that says sometimes you almost think to yourself, is it worth, is it worth risking the depression because of what comes on the other side? Or is it okay to be average? And I think what I'm realizing and what I'm trying to share with people, particularly who are bipolar, is when you're, med- like when you're taken care of, you're not average. The best person you are is not the person you are when you're hypomanic. The best person you are is the one when you're taking care of yourself because our lives are a tribute to everyone who's loved us, but only if we live them. And it's so hard, I think, sometimes for people with mental illness to step up and say, I want help because they think it makes them weak or unemployable or an embarrassment. And that's why I almost didn't do it. When I talked about it at Queens University at my TEDx Queens U talk, I had another talk ready to go. And it wasn't until I got on stage and opened my mouth that I knew that I was actually going to give the talk because people I care about and that I love said to me, Drew, you have such a good thing going. You got this TED talk that's getting, you know, 20,000 hits and God knows it ends up on TED and gets 300,000. But like people are, are coming and saying, oh, speak. You're, you have this platform now to, to say a really good thing. Why do you also have to share this other thing? Because this other stuff you talk about seems to do good. Like, why can't you just not talk about the other one? And, and I really thought, you know, maybe they're right. Because if it means giving up this, this chance to talk to guys like you and, and share these ideas, then, you know, is it worth it? And I realized, you know, like, I don't know. How can I talk about leadership and recognize there's this thing that needs talking about? And I've been somehow given this ability to, to, to tell stories in a way that engage people. How can I talk about leadership on one hand and hide this very important thing on the other? And uh, people are like, oh, well, that took guts. No, it didn't. It just, <laughs> it doesn't, it didn't take so much guts as it did to be like, wow, I simply can't live with myself if I don't do it. You know, guts is, guts is like stepping up and being like, I shall do this. I don't know how gutsy it is when you're simply like, I can't not do it. Right. Um, if that makes any sense at all. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to seek out this video too. And, you know, we'll throw a link of it up onto our website. Um, if I can't find it, you know, I'll reach out to you and make sure oh, that no, that'd be great, man. And put it up there. And again, we appreciate, you know, diving into this as well. I mean, this is very interesting and we, we really appreciate it. And uh, it's, it's been great talking to you, Drew. We wish you the best of luck. Uh, thanks, guys. Sorry I took up so much time. Like, I, I'm sure you got like a huge job editing now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it'll right. be, that'll be fine. Yeah, Don't worry about it. <laughs> we enjoy it. Uh, guys, it, it, thank you so much. I mean, it, isn't it crazy how Twitter works? Like, <laughs> I used to think it was the biggest joke, man. Like, <laughs> why would you do 140 characters? St- like, I've met more awesome people on Twitter. Uh, and I guess that's what it's supposed to be used for, not just, you know, like I do, tweeting about the Oscars. <laughs> but <laughs> So what a pleasure. And, and, and truly, thank you. It, it means a lot to be asked. Uh, to. I mean, come on, like a smart people podcast. Yeah. Um, how do you, yeah. I, I just feel bad about spending time doing that. And, uh, and kudos to you too, for being like the most powerful phrase I think in leadership is wouldn't it be cool if, and, uh, 
it's why I think pictures of beer and friends should be mandatory um, because more wouldn't it be cool ifs come out over that than anything else. And it seems to me like this was your, you know, this, wouldn't it be cool if this is uh, absolutely and, uh, yeah. or wouldn't it be cool if over a pitcher of beer? Like that's actually exactly, <laughs> exactly how it formed. So yeah. uh, hold on, hold on a second. Are you guys based in the states? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was over a pitcher of something, but don't you ever dare call that stuff beer. <laughs> oh, this is probably good beer, actually. I don't know. We stopped drinking the the light beer when we were about twenty five. <laughs> I, I I hate to tell you guys, but if it's American beer, it's all light oh, beer. It's all I, light I beer. It, I got it. <laughs> Oh, Canada. Long live. <laughs> I love it. All right, Drew. Thanks again. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch guys. soon. All right. All right. Peace. Bye-bye. Hope you guys enjoyed that discussion with Drew. Head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. We've linked to his TEDx talk that he referred to on bipolar disorder. Check it out. I think it just goes to show that you can pretty much overcome anything And we really appreciate Drew taking the time out to talk to us about this personal matter. Make sure to check out another Smart People podcast episode this weekend.